And welcome into a Sunday edition now of the Fun Astrology Podcast. Sunday, June 13th. You know, there have been a lot of June birthdays, and I know a couple of people who have one today, and I'm wishing you a happy birthday. You know who you are. But for all of these Gemini birthdays, just sending you lots of love and all the best on your special day in this season. Let's uh, take on a couple of more listener questions. I want to get two in today, and I have a couple of good ones, and they are really not correlated. So we'll hopefully get a couple of things in here. First, let's take a quick look at the sky. We have a sign change of the moon. Are you guys like numbers? You like sequential numbers? How about the moon ingressing, moving into Leo at 2.22 p.m.? Of course, that's Eastern time, so you'll have to convert that to your own time zone where it may not be sequential, but at least we've got a start of it here. The other aspect in the sky today is Venus, hello, sextiling Uranus. And we're going to talk about Venus actually with this question. So let's use the question to talk about that sextile. Hi, Thomas. This is Ellie calling from London, where it's been raining even more than usual since Jupiter entered Pisces. I absolutely love listening to the podcast and hearing everybody's questions. My question is on planetary return charts. I'm just about to have my Venus returns in Gemini, and I'm wondering if the chart can be a good roadmap in my search for love. It'd be great to get your thoughts on this. Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you, Ellie, for listening in London. I really appreciate it. And hopefully your umbrella will keep you dry through this little phase. And then eventually it will uh, dry out, hopefully, there in the UK. Now, you know, when anybody does astrological readings, and yes, I'm doing them. I'm doing them. And the reason that they're closed right now is that I've just got a full plate. So we'll get through those and then I'll open up more and I will let you know when they do. And we'll do it where all time zones, including London, can get in. I did a reading from the UK yesterday, actually thoroughly enjoyed it. So we'll get more open and just stay close to the podcast and to the website Fun Astrology, and that's where it will appear when they open up. I, As I've said many times, I don't want to have to do it that way, but I've got to protect my heart. I've got to protect me so that I can keep doing this and just balancing everything in good zen. So we'll get there, I promise. Like I said, the offset is... You can contact Steve Forrest and get on his seven-year waiting list. (laughs) I'm trying to help. Now, when somebody does a reading, several things come up. Love is one, obviously. Career, money, etc. So this is one of the big areas that people want to know something from the heavens. So let's talk about how we look at these themes. Now, what she's asking, what Ellie is asking here is for a trigger which is the micro perspective, is this event with Venus coming all the way around her chart back to where her Venus was on the day she was born, is that going to trigger love? And of note that Venus takes 225 days to orbit. So this is something that comes up more than once a year, more like about, what, a third of a year, right? Two-thirds of a year. So two thir- every two-thirds of a year, we get Venus back in the place where it was. But along the way, of course, we have the sextile position, the square, the trine, the opposition, and then we come back around. So we always have an aspect going on, whether it's the return, quote-unquote, the conjunction back to where it was when we were born, Or whether it's a trine, there are favorable opportunities throughout the year 
where Venus is in a more favorable position, possibly to trigger love. But here's my thought on this. This is a great educational point for just learning astrology. You have to separate the slower-moving planets, which are the macro themes, from the faster-moving planets and the transits, which are the triggers. So we're talking about Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. I would first want to know where they are because they are going to give us the structure of how love is going to show up, if it does, by the trigger. So with Saturn, for example, love is likely or possibly to be karmic or aligning, or it could be a really good foundation that you set right from the beginning. Uranus, ah, watch out for the unexpected, right? You could meet somebody unexpectedly. You could bump into somebody. It could be a strange relationship. It might be one of those experiences that afterwards you scratch your head and you think, I know I was supposed to learn something from that. <laughs> you know, like one of those, you've been there. I know you laughing. And then Neptune, it could be spiritual. And Pluto, wow, Pluto, several things. I mean, it could be hot and passionate and powerful. It might be something that gets where something in the relationship with one or both of you gets torn down and rebuilt. Could be a powerful transformational time in your life. So these are all areas that could show up in the macro with the slower moving planets. Where are they? Now, the faster moving planets, particularly the moon, and then, of course, Mercury and Mars and Venus are all possible triggers or even Jupiter. I mean, Jupiter could bring expansion or luck to the process. So we definitely would want to know where Jupiter was. Or like today, we mentioned before, Venus sextiling Uranus, Venus in Cancer. That has a nice feel to it. Uranus in Taurus, ruled by Venus. So there's a double connection there. Would it be a good day to be on the dating sites or in public where you might meet somebody? Yeah. Whenever the triggers are there, use them. But always keep in mind, faster movers trigger, the slower movers build the theme. Now, a lot of you who listen to the other podcast, Subconscious Mind Mastery, where I just document my journey. It's like an open book, warts and all. Uh, my relationship with Majana. It began in 2013, and then basically when I left Dallas in 2020, that was when we said goodbye to the relationship piece but continued the business piece. And this is going to be very significant because here's why. We met on June 9th. Now, as I went back and looked at June 9th on my chart, uh, that was 2013, by the way, June 9, 2013. On that day, Saturn, remember I just mentioned karmic, was conjunct my stellium in Scorpio. Mars, Sun, Neptune. Oh, could you imagine? And that painted the picture of that relationship. It was strong and powerful. It was spiritual. And it was very Saturnian. We did a really good job of making each other face our stuff, if you will. And over time, yes, that can get old when that's the theme of the relationship. But there was Saturn sitting right on top of me, everything that I am. That stellium is like the guiding missile of my whole life. And there it was. 
So, yes, it was a Saturnian relationship, a karmic appointment, absolutely, and one where, in my opinion, things did not necessarily get completely resolved. So there will be more to deal with at another time. Now, the other placement was Neptune, the spiritual planet, was sitting right on top of my midheaven. And what did we do? Started a spiritual business. What was not there? Well, Venus was not activated. It was sitting in Cancer. The seventh house, the house of relationships, was not activated. So the triggers were not there. The karmic appointment was. You see the difference? So I would ask if Venus is coming back to its original place, where are the other planets? And what kind of relationship, if it were to be triggered, could be triggered? Is that energy there? Yes. Again, depending on where things like Jupiter in Pisces would be. And, of course, Jupiter's getting ready to go retrograde. So maybe this would be a time where that part of the energy pulls back a little bit. But if Jupiter is square to that Venus, then you've got a whole other picture to paint. You see how yesterday we were talking about the 1,440 combinations? <laughs> this is where you have to put all of this together. So it's not a clear-cut answer. But I hope that you get from this question the distinction between looking at the theme builders versus the triggers. All right. You guys want to do one more? I do because these are great questions and I don't always have time to get to them during the week. So either pause and come back or let's roll on to one more about fixed stars. Hi, Thomas. Um, I just recently found out that I have Regulus conjunct Mercury and digging into it more, I found out about the four fixed stars, the royal stars, and it seems like they do make a really big impact on somebody's chart, but there doesn't seem to be any information really on how it affects the chart. So I wanted to ask you what you think about the fixed stars and why there's not that much information on them. Thank you. You guys ask the best questions. I'll tell you, this is really well thought out. So let's talk about fixed stars. There are actually a lot more than four. And I'm going to put two articles in the show notes. So some of you have trouble finding the show note article links. So if you can't find it, go to the website on the blog for today, the blog article for today's show, and I'll put them at the top of that transcription. So you don't have to wade through it. It will be at the top, okay? So between those two places, you'll be able to find it. Now, one of the article links is to a guy that I read a lot and like a lot, Jamie Partridge, who writes astrologyking.com. And the link is simply astrologyking.com forward slash fixed dash stars. And he lists a lot of the fixed stars. <laughs> it may not be all of them, but it certainly is close. So you'll see that it's a huge list. The other link is going to be an article by Time Nomad. And that's a, it's a pretty good, I'm going to say, cookie-cutter explanation of the fixed stars. So for a lot of that information that's missing, the guy that developed the Time Nomad app did a really good job of addressing fixed stars. So I'll leave you with that. Now, one thing about the fixed stars is we have to put fixed in quotes because they're not fixed. There's this thing called the precession of the equinoxes, and you can Google that to learn more about it. But it's basically where the solar system viewed from Earth 
rotates one degree every 72 years. It's why, actually right now, if you look at a chart, the sun is in Gemini. But if you look in the sky, the sun is in Taurus. That's because of the precession of the equinoxes. Well, the stars move as well in our tropical zodiac system. So, you know, I just mentioned a minute ago and yesterday, too, that we already have 1,440 different combinations. If we just use the 10 planets and luminaries, the 12 houses and the 12 signs, you do the math on that, and that is 1,440 lines on a spreadsheet if you're trying to address every combination. And that, as I mentioned yesterday, does not include the things like the ascendant, the nodes, the midheaven, etc., So for me, I have decided to focus on what has served us well for the last several thousand of years, several thousand of years, and to learn and master that. But I can give you a couple of astrologers who do address fixed stars in their blogs. And Jamie would be one, astrologyking.com. And then Jessica Adams is an astrologer out of Australia, and she often will reference the fixed stars. Ann Ortley does as well in her daily tweets. If you get her tweets, if you're subscribed to her on Twitter, and she will also mention fixed stars. So there's there are ways that you can merge it into your vernacular. What I'm more interested in is studying, obviously, a lot more that I need to learn about traditional astrology. And then, of course, more about transits, progressions, and solar arcs. So just the basics, the fundamentals, midpoints and harmonics, financial astrology, medical astrology, electional and horary astrology, and then maybe if there's some time left, (laughs) I might take a look at the stars. But meanwhile, I'm just content to leave it to those who are more knowledgeable than I in that area. Now, here is my personal perspective on this, and it's well said by Steve Forrest. So I'd like to read a little Facebook reply that I found of his addressing this, and I think it says my own thoughts real well. I'm just going to lean on the shoulder of a world-renowned, really experienced astrologer who wrote the books that I was honored to narrate and let his words express my thoughts. So a client approached him and said that, that she had a very negative fixed star conjunct her ascendant and was doomed and wondered what to do about it. This is what he told her. Reading now, so the I and me is Steve Forrest, not me. All right, just make that very clear. He says, I have not worked much at all with the fixed stars since I was a young astrologer. Back then, I was trying everything. But with experience, the whole idea of a quote-unquote negative anything, fixed stars included, has come to rub me the wrong way. My fundamental belief and experience is that everything in astrology has a potential higher purpose, which has put me at odds with the fixed star crowd, who tend to be very fatalistic. Perhaps the lore could be updated? I suspect it could, but that's not my path. More technically, in my own astrological work, I think not in terms of stars, but rather in terms of the solar system. That is, I practice tropical astrology. 
I do believe that certain degrees of the zodiac can be demonstrated to have some very specific charges on them. On the face of it, that connection sounds like it could be related to stars, but it's hard to reconcile it. The precession of the equinoxes is the problem. Approximately every 72 years, a zodiacal degree and a fixed star have moved apart from each other by one degree. Thus, the zodiacal positions of the fixed stars in the Renaissance are about seven degrees off from where they are today. The result is that the accumulated lore about the meaning of the stars and the accumulated lore about the meaning of specific degrees have become quite unhinged from each other. That doesn't mean that the stars and sidereal astrology in general have no meaning. It just tells us that we need to think of star meaning and degree meaning as different subjects. And then he concludes by saying, I have the bright star Vega conjunct my sun. That allegedly indicates one who is outwardly grave and pretentious, but inwardly lascivious. I always kind of got a giggle out of that. (laughs) I would too, Steve. I would too. Uh, That's not Steve Forrest, by the way, if you know him at all. (laughs) That is not him at all. So I think that's the answer here is inconsistency. And that's the reason that some people who have a feeling and an interpretation for it are able, in my opinion, to, let's say, add some seasoning to the stew. It's some nice enhancement but it's not the meat and potatoes. And I think you have to hold it more loosely. So consider it and observe it. Now, here's the other point. If you feel called to the fixed stars, then by all means, absolutely get into it and do your research because the world needs the information. And a great resource is Scribd. I get a lot of astrology information on Scribd.com. It was something that I just went ahead and subscribed to because, to me, it's just a wealth of information. So many documents and articles, not only books, that are available and address every situation. And I looked up fixed stars in there, and, oh, my goodness, you could go to town for a long, long time. Well, I hope that this has embellished your Sunday morning or Sunday day whenever you have time to listen to this. Thanks for the great questions. Sorry we went a little long, but, you know, this is to get these in. Looks like these are about six to eight minutes per question, so I'm just going to have to balance that time. Thank you guys so much. Have a great rest of the weekend, and I'll see you back tomorrow as we begin the new week on the Fun Astrology Podcast. Have a great day. Love you. Bye-bye.